This show is part of the Head Stuff Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to That's Bangin', the food and drink podcast of Ireland. Where we talk to some of the brightest culinary minds in the country, as well as people who are just passionate about their food and drink. You'll hear all about what it takes to get a Michelin star above the door, as well as tales of adventure around some of the best places to eat on our wonderful island. All of this while we fill you in on the latest foodie happenings around the country and tell you what great bits we have eaten recently. In association with local, fresh and tasty beer, Hop House 13. Made with more hops and more taste for more character. And please remember to always drink responsibly. Hello and welcome to That's Banging. I am Chris Mellon and we are in West Cork. Marcus, how are you? I'm very good. Honestly, West Cork, the, like the place we're in, ladies and gentlemen, if I can describe it, if you can imagine like a dream scene in a movie where the protagonist has just been hit by a bus or something <laughs> and they're envisioning heaven, that is the place we are in right now. The air, there's verdant green fields, the sky is a beautiful cerulean blue. It's quite it's, beautiful. It's incredible, like genuinely. And this place is called Skull. Yeah, we took a five-hour drive from Dublin and uh, the drive was less painful, I thought. And like, you know, it, it, was, it was so worth it because now we're in the amazing town of Skull. We're just outside Skull and we've just landed at a Gabean farmhouse. So I think it's time we'll, we'll introduce our guests straight away. We're getting straight into it this week. And, uh, you know, there's no better way to introduce someone than to talk about, you know, Gabean farmhouse and what they've done here. It's fifth generation, um, you know, knife maker, cheese maker, charcuterie. Uh, let's just bring him in. Let's just bring him in. Welcome to that Bang and Fingal Ferguson. Fingal Thank you. Ferguson. Thank Good you to have you, buddy. <laughs> Good to be here. So we've had uh, we've got great hospitality so far. We were, we're staying in uh, Gabian Farmhouse tonight. We've just had a lovely dinner with Fingal and his family. And uh, yeah, we're going to sit down. We're going to have a little podcast now. Absolutely. Well, and just before we kind of start, if you don't follow Fingal already, uh, you really, really should. This this dude sitting beside me here makes some of the most beautiful knives on the planet, bar none. Some of the most incredible cheese. The charcuterie is second to none. And honestly, the lifestyle that's living here is nothing but enviable. So, Fingal, we're very excited to have you on that Bang. And how are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you. No, you're very kind what you say. It, it's a lot of hard work, but you know what? Seeing the spoils of everything and the people in our lives, it just makes it all worthwhile. I can only imagine. Um, so to kind of bring things back to the start, we kind of talked about Skull. We talked yeah. about Gubin. We talked about the charcuterie, the knives. Yeah. But am I correct in saying that this all started with a little bit of cheese? Yeah. I mean, like, so my my dad, who's very much like the the Fergusons in Gabine, you know, long time ago, milking cows and always doing that wonderful thing here in West Cork, met my mother who came to visit here in West Cork, came to visit a, a family member and, and they hit it off. And my parents are a wonderful case of opposites attract in the most wonderful way that, that I suppose the solidness of my father who can make things happen and the dreaming kind of imaginative side of my mother kind of led to all of these things that have just kind of happened over the years. And I think myself, my sisters, we've, we've kind of grown up during this beautiful time or West Cork which was sort of like this became this kind of food hub, this food capital of like amazing, I suppose, people who were like leaving some lives to sort of just kind of start over anew were, were part of this kind of adventure, this West Cork adventure. And that led to to growing up with farmhouse cheeses. And, and you know, it, it's an unusual childhood, but, but a fun one. Yeah, I think a lot of people do actually like, you know, they know the name Gabine and they know it from farmhouse cheeses. And, you know, it's I think it's became one of the most you know recognizable names when it comes to cheese in Ireland. But that's where it did all start. And it was cheese for a long time before the likes of yourself came along and, you know, other family members who well, kind of... You, you have to you have to give respect to, to Norman and Veronica Steele and Meline's cheese, um, now made by the one wonderful Quinlan, um, who, who, I mean, the, like they were the original farmhouse cheese and, and friends, Jeffa Bates, of, of course, as well. And then, and then after that ourselves, but I think that there's been so many cheesemakers that have all kind of come from this. It wasn't a business plan. It wasn't pen and paper going down about, you know, how, how, what, what, why should we do this and what should we do it? And can we get grants and can we, no, it wasn't like that. It was literally, I have some milk. <laughs> I have a friend who's going to teach me and show me, you know, how to do it. And we're going to chance it away. Or we're going to read and learn about it. And you're doing it for the reasons of curiosity and, 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 you know, all these things like fermentations, we all know that, that the obsessions and still to this day will always, that they'll always be there. I think be it beer, bread, sauerkraut, yeah. 
pickles, cornichons, cornichons whatever yeah, it is, you know, yeah. all these things. Because the reason is, is that as soon as you get anyway cocky and you think, I know everything there is to know about cheese, mm. you're just going to get your ass handed to you. Yeah. Because it, it is, it is a lifelong adventure of, of sort of like a rabbit hole. I mean, I'm always using that expression, but it is. Mm. So I think like the thing is that my parents kind of starting off doing this thing, you know, and growing up because there was pros and cons to it. There was, you're making this, this kind of quite hard and on a pedestal kind of product because, mm. you know, the French and, and the Irish, I mean, the, the, well, I'm saying the French because they, they have really made cheese a beautiful thing, you know, mm. Parmesan and Italy and all these different cultures. But the Irish need a lot of kudos for this. And it was well, the Irish monks, it was the Irish monks who actually kind of no way. The, uh, documented Cheese making. I mean, it's like if you think about the the Irish monks being the people who actually were the first learned people to write and document about things. You know, it was like, oh, why? How come when we put milk into this gourd that we get this kind of solid product that you know that is actually edible and and out of curiosity, and, was that was that gourd maybe made of a calf's stomach or just something so happens like that? To. So I mean, the thing is, is yeah. that it only it takes that element of the curiosity and uh, uh, the curious mind to understand how things work and how things become repeatable, because like all things in life. You know, we can all have wonderful accidents that are amazing. But if you can consistently keep making something that's good. My parents you know. consistently call me a wonderful accident, so it's okay. <laughs> it's beautiful. Um, that I, is, I love that kind of idea of just curiosity kind of leading to something else. And I guess like West Cork, if you actually look at, I suppose, not just farmhouse cheese, but farmhouse everything. Like, and literally, and cheesemakers well, alone. Look, craft that everything. Word, the yeah. word is, beca- I mean, like artisan and farmhouse. Yeah. They are dodgy words, but they do stem from an origin. Mm-hmm. Of course, know? but I mean, like, you you said something earlier, which kind of I'd never heard this as a, as a statistic, that eighty five percent of the artisan produce in Ireland comes from West Cork. Is yeah. that that's yeah. but it's insane. insane? It was. It was. It. It. I mean, that's such a high figure. I mean, it, it's an incredibly high figure. But it came from something very simple. I mean, it. It was just that. I suppose. Well, there was numbers of factors that came to play. First of all, there was the Cold War back in the 60s. And somebody stated that the safest place to ever live in the world was West Cork, because I think if there was ever a nuclear war, the Gulf Stream would blow away, you know, all the nastiness. <laughs> all the bad stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. As, if, as if it was going to be smooth sailing. But the 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 other side of it was is that it was so rural at the time down here. I mean, like, you know, it's still another two hour drive from Cork city to get down to here yeah to, absolutely yeah so what happens is that people were able to sell their houses in london and new york or you know berlin or germany wherever they were and they were able to buy a, a good old cottage and a bit of land in west cork and still have a bit of money left over afterwards but what they brought with them was more this worldliness and this kind of adventure of a refresh start in a very rural scenario and then the camaraderie that came with other people like-minded people mm. and that led to this creativity and and that sharing and and conviviality I mean, it's a word that's been used a lot by slow food and other people, but conviviality is a beautiful thing. When you get like-minded people doing things for all the right reasons and and combine that with gluttony and, and, <laughs> yeah. and, and, and food and camaraderie and all these kind of things and sharing in, in a very you know, unselfish manner, like these people weren't looking to suddenly become millionaires. They were looking to settle again in the place and be yeah. creative and, and, and from a clean start. I love that. It's kind of like people who are a little bit creative and have a certain skill set. Just move somewhere and go, do you know what I want? I actually really want some saucisson or some yeah. cheese or some yeah. ham. Because you, you couldn't um, buy it in, in, a, in a small shop in West Cork. You, yeah. you couldn't barely even get it in Cork City. I mean, my mom, I remember my mum getting in the car to go up to Cork. When mum went to Cork, it was a big deal. Because she'd yeah. come back with crumpets. Crumpets! <laughs> you know, or granola. <laughs> you know, these things that like we take very much for granted. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. You know, so off the shelf. But they weren't, you know, down here. And the thing is, is that another way of putting it, is that people start up a business. Mm. You know, nowadays you need to have HACCP plans, you need to have registration certs, you need to have sort of all these things to make your food legitimate and official to happen. Back in the day, if you made something, you walked into a shop, you knew the owner of the shop. He said, would you have a chance selling this for me? And they said, yeah, "Yeah, fair enough. They'd pay you then and there for that product, knowing damn well you're going to spend it in their shop that same day on your groceries and it was, it was... Uh, How times have changed. Yeah, but isn't that so logical? Yeah, it was, yeah. it was, that was the ethos of the whole wonderful thing. I guess it is. It's kind of like barter with more steps. You're just bartering yeah. for money that then that you just give directly back to the shopkeeper. Beautiful. In exchange for some toilet roll and cigarettes. Like that's yeah. like... <laughs> but like the all, these, all these, all these, yeah, but all these wonderful products, that, that's the thing. If, if it kept selling, then keep making it. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. also in a small community, you got feedback. You know, yeah. So you go to farmers markets, you meet a person like 
I, I know damn well when something isn't right, you know, because also there is a characteristic of, of a good old Irish person who will eat something that's downright terrible and look you square in the air and goes, no, no, it was grand. A child, a child will tell you the truth. Children are brutally <laughs> honest. I, 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 I'll never forget, you know, bringing non-Irish friends to restaurants. And this even happened to, to me recently. I was in Paris and something came out and it was terrible. Like it was really bad. And both myself and my girlfriend sat there and the waiter could see we were both struggling. And I think he knew that the dish was bad. And we both looked at him in the eye twice and went, this is the best cod that I've ever had <laughs> in my life. Did you, did you swim into the Atlantic this Ocean? This the cold cod that you were talking bathroom. about. Yeah, it came, it came us both food poisoning. And we both sat there and went, this, is, this has changed my life for the better. Mm. Sir, please but cater. That, but that is the Irish mentality. Cater our wedding, mm. please. What's your name? We're going to name our firstborn <laughs> after you. This cod is amazing. But like, I've brought you know non-Irish friends to restaurants, and mm. there'll be one thing wrong. They're like, send it back to the kitchen. Mm. And I think beat I think, the chef with the length of pipe. I think, I think one thing you have like around this part of West Cork as well, like you know when you're making cheese, and you're you know you, there's a lot of people that are making cheese around here. You know we went by like signs today for Doris and other places. Mm -hmm. like, you know, so I think you know the the quality of cheese and the, that high standard is at this high level where you know you can't really be kind of making a product that's mediocre, where you have to kind of keep your standards high, and that you probably like you know will learned over the years that like you know. Oh, but but the, what. What one person will, will that, I know what you're saying I know is, is very, 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 um, thank you for saying that and mm. I think that you know all the other cheesemakers will forever always have my love and respect because what we make is not a very simple product mm -hmm. but what also is kind of fascinating about what one person will spit out another person would like fight through yeah. a war field like to just kind of get their hands on and I think that's interesting like one person with cured meats and everything else a rock hard spicy salami with somebody else you know it, that's the interesting thing about the world is that luckily once the pool grows you know, mm. you find the diversity of what people will love and, and not like. So I think the whole thing is the communication of that and let, the anticipation of what somebody's going to expect and get from it. So at least you don't have to deal with somebody like, that was bleeding terrible, <laughs> you know, and, and somebody who's actually, you know, if, if and I, I'm always going to fight with that. I think the thing is, is I'm always going to be my own worst critic. I, I, I don't usually enjoy my own food. I'll always find the flaws in it. I think that I've grown up knowing some of the most amazing cured meats in the world. So I look at mine and kind of, you know, to be honest, like what we make is supposed to be a very honest product. But is it the same as, a, you know, the, the sort of an Ibirico ham made in the yeah. mouth? Yeah. You know, don't give yourself those. Th I think we have to try and make something that just makes people happy and, and is kind of as honest as you can make it. Yeah. And and once you're doing that as a, as a challenge, just just keep trying to better yourself. So yeah. Like yeah. that's it. One of the first things we looked at today, we came in here today, was you showed us the, the smokers outside. Mm. Uh, like one question I have you, was, was Gabin like, was were they always smoking cheese like before your time? Or was the, that kind of, did that come in came in later? Well, to, to give people background, like Gabin is a 250 acre farm. We're milking about 140 cows. We're making, you know, the, the, the cheese here all from our own herd. So I think that's kind of quite a rare thing now. Yeah. Like we are a farm that does literally, I suppose, feel to fork vibes. Like mm -hmm. we literally are from producing the milk to making the cheese to selling at a farmer's market. Yeah. The, um, my parents started making it when I was two years old. I'm 40, 40 something now. But on purpose, but the still have the mental age of a 12 year old, by the way. But the, the thing is, is that the, the, like when my parents started kind of making cheese, it was the rind washed cheese. It was based on this kind of like, you know, the smoked food came a few years after. And that stemmed from a good friend who lived down in Goleen, Chris Jepson, a friend of the family's who, ha who smoked salmon. Mm -hmm. And we said, you know, and you meet these guys in the pub or whatever occasion. I don't even know the, the origin story of how my parents talked to Chris and said, why don't we put this story smoking a cheese? Because it had been done before. Yeah. It's not mm -hmm. like we invented smoked cheese. I think we're the first people to do it in Ireland. But but the thing is, is that like he said, yeah, no problem. So we put a couple of cheeses into a smoker in a different chamber at the back of the, behind the smoked salmon in a whole different box. And and it sort of started from there. And those adventures are, lead to the most important things because my childhood job was driving back and forth to Chris and Goline and you could only get to his house at low tide. You know, it is <laughs> a beautiful man who said very little, but what he said was golden and grew his own veg, caught his own fish in his boat that he almost made himself. You know, mm. and I like when you I, say you had to get to his he uh, house during low tide, like how, where was he based? You, exactly? you drove across a stony beach. Really? Yeah. yeah. Like to Shaley Beach. And it was great because, I mean, as a young kid driving for the first time to be able to like take an old discovery, like <laughs> full belt across this the tide. And, like, it's like it's like a, a scene, you know, it almost doesn't exist anymore. Now it's like I get my stuff picked up by a courier and they bring it to somebody. Yeah. The idea of like going to some like this almost mythical sounding dude is like 
across the old stony beach that's locked off by tide. Um, I like, like the name Golini. That's, that's <laughs> normal. St- I think we all have that. You just have to look at it in different ways. We all have magical stories. I'm going to be blown away by stories that you tell me of, of like life in the city. Of I mean, I've just grown city. up I in I don't know country. if you will. People <laughs> no, just no, spit honestly, at you. What you would take for granted. I mean, the thing is, is that <laughs> what we ha- Dawson Street. <laughs> yeah. you, you have to work quite hard to, to, to like, there, there's something... If you respect community, like community, and and you develop those bonds with other characters, like mm. my parents probably did back in the day, things naturally fall together. If you're always on a quest to kind of like go for that next adventure, not let things go to waste, food wise, or develop friendships and whatever else, and and be curious, and if you are kind of have that way in mind, adventures will keep finding you, and and that will come together. And for the ability to like kind of adapt, you know. It's you just got to be a doer, you know, yeah. and I and I think that's what my parents always did. You know, they they were very much doers, and I think that the curiosity, of something, and and knowing when to call it a spade a spade if this isn't going to work or if it is, and I think that was it. But we had so many friends helping us along the way. That has to be said. And it's like your fifth generation is, or your fifth, fifth, kids, yeah, yeah, kids, kids, are and sixth. basically, like, are there other generational businesses like this? Like, are you now doing business with people who you knew as children? And oh yeah, I mean. <laughs> Like I, I've always jokingly said, like we all we all went to boarding school together with other cheese make. We were all known as the cheese orphans, <laughs> and uh, we went we went up to Newtown, and it was like we we were always the ones with the smelly tuck boxes, you know, the ones yeah. with the, the the rank cheese and and the, and the organic kind of sawdust flavored <laughs> cheese Everything. biscuits, and yeah, yeah, you know, it was. But I I think that yeah that there was. There is this kind of thing, like one of the things I I have kind of learned over the years and I have seen it so much is that when you look at your parents busting their ass, killing themselves, Mm. working so bloody hard, usually to kind of help their next generation, like their children kind of do better or or go on or put them through school and do whatever that kind of stuff. That generation will grow up kind of thinking, I don't want to sort of Mm. work as hard as my parents, you know. But I think my parents did it in a certain frame of mind in a way that actually kind of pulled us in. I was never told I had you're you're going to be taken over the farm mm. Mm. or you're you're going to be you know going to, you're going to have to do this. I, I could have become an architect. Yeah, I would have been a shit architect. But I could have, <laughs> you know, you have to have some form of mathematical skills. Cheese to the thermal resistivity of a wall or whatever. But I think that you know. I, I grew up kind of thinking, what 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 will I do? What will I do? But actually, do you know what? You fall in love. And I think that's largely the people involved. So to stem back to that, I think a lot of the other people I've seen that I've kind of grown up with also in the cheese making world or whatever else, the farming and those kind of things, there is a few magical characters that just pick up that mantle. And there is a point, and it's usually not straight away. In many cases it is, but they, they, when they do, it is it is beautiful to see that that kind of carrying of the torch. Mm. You did help take over the family farm, obviously, uh, but then obviously you made your own kind of you know work around it as well with the charcuterie. So was that always like you know as a as a young teenager coming up? Was that was your kind of did you always want to do something on your own underneath the Gimme name as well? That's probably somewhat narcissistic. I mean, like, the thing is, is that I suppose we always had pigs in the farm. I did a bit of curing. I, I did this kind of things that I was helping my dad with. But when when my parents being my parents were always say, oh, Fingal made some bacon. You know, it's like. They probably did everything, but I kind of, <laughs> I, I put it on the hook. So therefore, I did yeah, it, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you kind of get that kudos from somebody you look up to. This is a friend of my mom's who's like saying, wow, well done. Yeah. You know, when you have Dorina Allen or something like that's congratulating you on, on something that was given, you know, yeah. then you're like, wow, you know, this is, this isn't something my parents, this is something I kind of like considered something that I kind of got, you know, I'm getting into. So anyway, that, that meant that I suppose the, the cured meats and the things we kind of started doing was my bag. You know, it was so, you know, it was something that I very much kind of got into and I kind of fell in love with. And there was many adventures along the way of kind of finishing off school, going to university, coming back and it's kind of like, listen, are we going to do this or not? Was this a hobby? You know, do we suddenly make this a career? Is this something I'm going to be doing? And I think you could probably go back to several years ago where there was just a very simple formula where dad ran the cheese yeah, you know, my sister was was running the garden. Clo- uh, Rosie has always been the sort of the one university doing anthropology and all these amazing things. Um, I was kind of doing the farmers markets and the cured meats. Mum running the cheese, you know. And but I suppose what happened was we kind of gave ourselves these roles, but what we really had going on was this connection between ourselves, where we all needed each other to for the cogs to fit together. Now nowadays. 
there's 20 of us to keep Gabine running and, and flowing. There's 20 people that kind of like in the whole thing between the, the, the farm, the smokehouse, the cheese, the dairy. Vital cogs. I mean, one cog gets thrown out and, and it, it, it's, mm. it's not fun. But when the cogs are all running into fluid, it's the most beautiful thing. And part of that is, is that like the simplicity of it is like the farm is the, 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 the roots of the whole thing. It's where the milk comes from, it's the pigs. And we also have other people rearing outdoor reared pigs for us or the straw pen rigs. And what we're doing is that, that like when we kind of make all these different foods, they go to the farmer's markets, they go in shops and delis. And we found ourselves in this sort of like these very diverse kind of situation that, that like we're stuck into many different things. And yeah, it's just adaptable and we just duck and weave because the seasons change. You know, yeah. middle of summer, everybody from Dublin is down here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> In the middle of winter, we, we're hibernating <laughs> and, and ev we sell everything out the back door and on, up the country. So I think we're, we're just used to that process of like duck and weave, adapt, diverse. But, you know, it's, it's, we have these, these, these tools to play with that we have these multiple products and... And, and yeah, that's, I think it's incredible that what you said about, you know, in the 1960s, now I never knew this, but you know, a byproduct of the cold war was all these people moving to the West of Ireland yeah. and West Cork to, to get away from potential nuclear fallout. And as a result, this resulting in a lot of kind of European artisan people missing their a taste of home and kind of one thing leading to another. And now you have this huge kind of, I suppose, resource of food in this part of the world, but also you kind of look at. The, the whole county of Cork as a result and the enormous food explosion that you have around here and the culture of food and the culture of love of food, everything from Takashi Miyazaki in, uh, in Ichigoichi with One Star or uh, Robin the Chestnut. Mm. Like, just like, you know, just all these, all these kind of passionate people who found a community. Yeah. yeah. Here, Day -Day up the road in Baltimore. Day -Day yeah, yeah. In mm. Baltimore. No, I think, yeah, there is, I mean, if you think about it, we're very grateful for the curiosity of our customers. Because I think if there's a time and a place, I think a lot of people maybe might have peaked too soon and done things that could have been the next, you know, amazing thing. Mm. But what I do love is that when you look into a shopping basket of, 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 of anybody in Ireland now, there's like staple, 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 something they've never had before. Yeah. And there's something kind of beautiful about that, that curiosity, you know, and I, and I think that the, you know, the, the appreciation of things like we have learned, I mean, thanks to Ballymaloo and thanks to so many other kind of forms of education, people now realize the workload that goes into certain things like, hey, you know, natural wines would have been a hard sell yeah. a generation ago. <laughs> you know, why does this taste so much like a farmyard? You know, but you yeah. have to appreciate the fact that this comes from natural yeast. Of course. You know? <laughs> so I think that, the, you know, when people realize what actually goes into something from that and, 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 and more importantly, I suppose you learn about the personality of something behind it as well as the selling point or, or, or whatever else. And it kind of, so I think social media, other elements that we've all kind of grown up with that have played roles in all of this, you know, mm. are, are, are kind of interesting. So where, where, like, what's the dream for Gubin now? Like, cause obviously you mentioned earlier, you know, that you're just trying to make a simple product that make people happy, but like I've tasted a lot of your products and I mm -hmm. think just, Listeners, fingers being very humble here. Like they are, it is a world-class product. And it's like, yeah. it's emblematic of of Ireland. And I mean, like, you know, I'm guessing that there's people who are coming here and there could be people coming from, you know, Spain who are exclusively eating three-year-old air-dried black-footed pig, you know, that's only been bred on acorns. And they're coming and they're tasting a bit of gooby and Teresa and they're going, Dios mio. <laughs> and, you know, and they're loving it. Maybe, and it's incredible. And it's I, like, I think but the first person who comes from that background, we're probably going to give them some of the cheese. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, uh, yeah, I, I don't know what, well, what we want. I mean, the, one of the things I, I hear a lot of, of elements of, of so many people wanting to grow. You always hear mm -hmm. like, oh, we're going to get 20, 20 more employer, employees. We're going to try and expand into here. We're going to work into export. I think, being a multi-generational kind of like farmer set up like this kind of thing and seeing my parents who have actually kind of put everything down like in some ways you can simply put it this way like we have the number of cows that produce the amount of milk that fills our vats that makes the cheese that we can produce that day that fills the curing rooms during the week that we can wrap that we can do the whole thing it's it's a multi-stage process it takes several weeks to age the cheese mm-hmm and when we try to push things for Christmas and for summer, it becomes more challenging. You realize it's a natural 
pace the the buildings you saw today like big thick stone walled kind of curing rooms that lend themselves actually to being kind of cooler in summer but you know warmer in winter because of the where they're based in the building and these natural things that make us what we are the floor and the fauna and the wills if you try to actually force anything to grow to actually you know just kind of like do that next step you can do little bits, but if you get greedy, you find your ass being handed to you again because mm. you're forcing the balance, like the natural humidity that's created by the volume in the room or or other factors of people actually probably working so much harder that you you know that it, you lose the pace and, and the enjoyment of what you're doing. The smokehouse is the same. Like we're the size of our smokers, the amount that we can butcher, the size of the aging room for the salamis. If you try and kind of produce more. So if we're going to grow more, it's not like kind of we don't, you know, there's so many stages involved in making those products and then what we do that actually it's not an easy thing to grow. So I think our main ambition really is that it's just become better yeah. and better can work in, in many ways. And I, I jokingly mm. kind of told the story about more is more. Yeah. I mean, more is more is, is one of those expressions that can be both good and bad. And and, and I think maybe as I kind of matured a bit more, <laughs> that's, that's arguable. Yeah. <laughs> but, but more is more is like, you know, we can make more product and make more money and make more profit and make more, you know, more jobs available. But that can also be like more rent, more rates, more more hassle, more yeah. stress, more, mm -hmm. you know, the, the, the more is more is, is a complicated thing. It goes both ways. Yeah. It does. Yeah. And I think being now a father of five, I, by the way, we worked out what was causing that. So we, we, it's, it's okay now. Yeah. But, but, <laughs> but the, 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 the thing is, is five. that, <laughs> <laughs> it's a slow learner. The, the thing is, is that like, in, in probably being a father, you, you, you become so aware of perhaps maybe you know passing things on better than you got them yourselves, which is something my parents always said mm. to me that hits home at a certain point of maturity, which I'm still aiming to. But the 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 thing is, is that you know, like we find those little goals that actually make me more excited. Aren't that we made more product this week? It's like, hey, listen, we managed to get rid of all our polystyrene packaging several years ago yeah, and find yeah. a renewable, recyclable alternative like Rampack, which is like this this cardboard alternative, or that we we now have a way of sort of curing in a certain way that we can you know, sort of create different flavors or or you know it wouldn't be great to ditch you know we, we now can use more recycling in, in a kind of processes but wouldn't it be great to ditch plastics in the future you know the farmers markets which aren't as big a thing for us as they probably would have been back in the day what i mean by that is that we mm. supply distributors yeah, and stuff yeah, as yeah. well but that network and i think that we are very busy in summer and christmas and those things it's kind of a product that lends itself to those those seasons but yeah i think we just want to make a good honest product turn the book every make sure everybody's happy but yeah improve you know mm. and i think i don't really want to to I, I just i mean we're grateful we own our land and our farm and our house and, and that kind of stuff mm. that, that changes a mentality yeah yeah speaking of uh, like products like how many products are actually in the green uh, charcuterie range now <laughs> there was way too many <laughs> i mean there was a period where literally if you if you took out a, a cook like a like a charcuterie book they're like, they're like phone books yeah and the large reason for that was that the, the the thing is, is that you'll always have the ability to sell the loin and the best cuts and these kind of things and move it on. Then what you do with everything else. Now, in a modern day, most people would buy in just the cuts they needed to, to sort of like supplement and, and top up and whatever like that. But what we're really aiming towards and to do is to actually do whole whole animal kind of butchery. Yeah. So we're butchering about 20 pigs a week and we have our, our collection of farmers that we're trying to set up this like, do this, this like-minded sort of cooperative, cooperative being a, a group of, of us farmers mm -hmm. working together to, to, and what we're trying to do is, is basically use up everything and, and in a fair and right way of doing that. So we always want to sell the ribs, the fillets, the loins and use all of that. Because, um, and the ambition is, is that, I suppose with all the different parts of the pig, you have to make multiple products. Mm -hmm. Now, I think the most important thing for us are the salamis. And the reason for that, just like the cheese, it's an ambient temperature product with a good shelf life, mm. which means that we have in rural West Cork the ability to get it up to Dublin yeah, everywhere else yeah. with, and, and it have to shelf life in those shops. Yeah. And, um, and I think, yeah, the, 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 I suppose what we've done is that back in the day, I was making every, the maddest fucking thing you could ever find. Like, I mean, there was a friend, we were doing like a smoked pig's head beer 
The smoke we were, pigs had yeah, beer. Was, like he wants, you know, do you hear these ideas of like, oh, let's let's what we can do is we can make fromage de tête, you know, where you can mm. boil down pigs' heads and then you can we can take all the livers and we can do this and we can take the skin and it was, it was this obsession to use everything and that is something very true. There's something but, amazing about that, though. Yeah, you know, it's and there a... is, and you, but you do realize that there's so many hours in the day, and that you do have to get back home to the kids and 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 do this kind of thing. So you, you find the simplest and most logical way of using everything, but perhaps not by making a thousand products, but by making a few of them and just doing them really well. Because I think uh, the more products you're making, you're probably taking your eye off the ball of one of them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, were you ever like were you ever making stuff like mortadella, oh, like yeah, West yeah. Coke mortadella? Yeah, yeah. Like that was fun. I mean, because the thing is, as well, like we're not the ones to invent any of these we're basing them off a tradition now the thing is is that i suppose like yes there was pistachio nuts in there yeah yeah there's yeah. other kind of things and we were sort of you know using our hot smoker yeah i seen i seen on the hot smoker screen earlier on the word mortadella i got man excited yeah, <laughs> Did you? yeah. and I, I think that, that that was it now now robin who's the manager of the smokehouse is is absolutely amazing because he he's him, myself and we work very well together because he is so logical so I'll get dreamy and imaginative and come up with all these romantic ideas and he'll call me on it and say, you are just being a little bit fantastical. And, kind of <laughs> yeah. like, you know, and, and I think it's fun to do these things. We realize that. But also sometimes if you if you promise the world, like there is a point where and, and the reason why Gabin probably did get his name out there is because we didn't say no for so long. And every friend who asked me for something, mm. you know, we would try to make it and do it. And that stood by us because I was, you know, a single young man. At that yeah, stage you had more doing, time to do things yeah. as well. So you had and to be I, more, oh, bit more play every, around with things. Every food event, every show, every gig. And that stuff helped us get to where we are. And, and I suppose right now there's times where we're actually probably are at capacity of the building and can't kind of make enough. So we, you have to focus on the core products. But I think as ourselves, people, we still love to experiment and try because I think, you know, like many of the guys there, they, they, they've actually reared their own pigs and they've yeah. they've been involved in the business. That I think sometimes it, it, is, it is grateful that we can finish at half four or five o'clock and every we can go home to their families. Mm. But there are times we'll stay on because, you know, there's a little experiment. Because <laughs> there is a like, creative part of absolutely. it. Absolutely. Why don't we have, is it just purely down to temperature and humidity? Why we don't have stuff like ham on? Or why we don't have like, you know, that kind of, like a huge amount of traditional air-dried I, I, I hams and I, stuff like that. Can we actually put down anything as a fermented product in our history? Well, I, I think say. that's a, like traditionally we definitely had the, a, a preservation process, which mm-hmm. was largely based around salting. Curing and, and kind of, yeah. And smoking, salting and smoking foods. I think that was mm-hmm. something that we would put ourselves down to. Not so much fermentation. I mean, like probably the, the bread side of things, but maybe not so much. Would Ireland have had sourdough back in the day? It was I always kind of we, soda we, breads and stuff like mm, that. I mean, I have my continental connections through my mother. I mean, our, our connections to Spain are, are probably the reason why we make chorizo. The fact that she kind of learned in France, and and I feel like the I feel more connected to Europe in many ways than than just being Irish. Mm. God, I'm a proud Irishman. Don't yeah. get me wrong. Yeah, but I do feel European in so many kind of ways because the world becomes a smaller place after a while, and Definitely. you can't help but be in love with with those products that challenge you and and i mean like everything from from when you look at cultures across the 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 world you know how we preserved food to survive and nowadays you know we're not so much worried about that because you know some smart egypt invented the fridge yeah <laughs> you know and and so now the, the with the smaller world products can travel all around the place but it, it does stem back to perhaps the sustainability then again and, mm-hmm. and 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 perhaps supporting locality and doing those kind of things but yeah no i think i think when we do kind of delve into into sort of the fermentations, these challenges that are reviving ourselves, like lockdowns and everything else that happened, mm. the waves of people, let's get into sourdough. Yeah. <laughs> or kimchi. Kimchi. Like I, have, yeah. I could probably get ca- like cake. Probably like <laughs> over 10 friends who like have permanent stains on their walls from, from like a kombucha explosion, a kimchi explosion. Who have a discarded sourdough mother at the back of their press? You know, it's kind yes, of it's now highly alcoholic. Yeah, it's now highly alcoholic. <laughs> yeah, it's a boozy mother. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, but you know, it's like it is that thing that like you have to kind of consistently, consistently do it, right? Yeah. What is it that makes us want to do that? I mean, like I'm, I'm a terrible person Hunger in respect that I, I, yeah, gluttonly and all, but I do set myself. I, I'm not OCD, but am I? Part of me wants to sort of work out, get good at something, find out a formula that works 
as that goal, you know, mm, and, yeah. and I kind of, all right, listen, I've just consecutively made four sourdough, six sourdough loaves in a row yeah. that were good. Boom. I'm so over sourdough right now. <laughs> you know, you know what, what, what was the thing? I mean, the terrible thing, and actually like the guys will all tell me, like I, I will happily nail and get a product up and running. And, but then I'm probably on to the next thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I think the necessity of, of the family business has sort of said that these things actually are making sense. And part of me is always going to be the inventive, the inventor. But I found myself nowadays, I'm actually the handyman. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I find well, myself... Let's touch the, on that, I think, because like, you know, we've talked a lot about Gabine. We've talked about the farmhouse and the cheese and the, and you know, all the, the charcuterie. But we're talking about yourself personally and, you know, you're talking about making things one after another. But the hands-on skills. The hands-on skills. We've, we've seen the workshop here today and, you know, we've been very lucky to kind of see some of the stuff you have stored and, you know, some of your amazing knives. But, you know, I think the name Fingal Ferguson, like, you know, away from Gabine has became famous in Ireland. It's a mouthful, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> but, you know, it's like... It's Say it like, ten times quickly. It's yeah, but, you know, it's like, it'd be better than like, oh, yeah, just see my knife, it's by Dave. <laughs> Dave not, makes great knives. I'm not throwing any shade on Dave, okay? But like, you know, it's kind of, there is like any, and I know a lot of chefs and a lot of restaurant people um, do listen to this podcast, especially yeah. in Ireland. Like there, there, there's a certain, there, like there's very few personal names like that carry weight. Like, did you see, did you see the cooking demo? He was, he was chopping a shallot with a, <laughs> With a with a goddamn Fingal Ferguson knife, like it has, like it's like I like it's almost as if you are forging Excalibur in your. No, I don't know. No, I I don't I don't want any myth to ever be built up around something. It, it's it's got a sharp end and a pointy bit and a handle. Mm. I mean, maybe the fact that they're not everywhere and thanks to to all the wonderful people. I mean, look, the thing is, I've grown up in the food business. That's led to some amazing people coming into our lives. They've kind of got those knives. And, you know, at what point did social media and everything else kind of like make things hot and sexy? I don't know. Is it perhaps that when you, if you can't get something, you want it more? Yeah. I, I, there's numbers of factors that literally, my, you know, what is the difference between going off and getting a knife in, in, a, in a supermarket for 20 quid and my knife that's going to cost more than that? I, you know, well, let's say quality for one. I'd there say can the, be, there can the, be like the knife one that works, but I mean the, the funny thing is, is that like I, I look back at the knives I made way back in the day, and I'm prepared for for myself to probably I mean like and I, I'm you're supposed to kick your own ass because you're supposed to have evolved over yeah. the years. I mean there's something very wrong if you haven't improved and bettered yourself mm -hmm. over a period of time. The thing is, is that I've grown up in the food business, so I, I suppose I see everything in that process of of sort of like a system and a structure to actually make something work, a raw material, a process, and a desired end result. And I think I never, I, I, I got into knife making through the amazing Rory Connor, who lives up the road from here, who is Ireland's original kind of knife maker. And the, I, I very much went to him to kind of find out how to sharpen a knife, you know, and, and I actually ended up learning more than that. And I kind of like, okay, well, let's, can I make a knife with you? And I did that. I went off with my now wife and on a holiday to, to New Zealand uh, to a wedding, a friend's wedding. And over there we made a knife and then we did. I made a, uh, I went to a workshop and made knives in in the UK with a guy called Owen Bush. So I've had these experiences in the different places with different people. And why why the knife? I mean, like the thing is, is that it's the tool of a trade. Yeah, I was a butcher. I was in love with food, you know. And I think uh, and, and 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 that knife was the means to making food. <laughs> and and in some kind of funny way about about food is that you know the way to somebody's heart is and i was saying to you earlier the way yeah. to somebody's heart is through their stomach mm -hmm. and i've always seen that reaction that my parents cheese has brought to people because you know it was one of it, you know, cheese is one of those things is cheese it? is one of those wine, you know, cheese kind of, if you find the right person cheese can be like a sexy thing yeah yeah oh, you know oh, like oh, cheese oh, is oh, a sexy oh, thing yeah. yeah just like it is you know it's like, <laughs> yeah, i'm still, some I'm still like, turned i'm made emotional by cheese yeah yeah and, and the roomy and marcus in smell the roomy and marcus are staying in tonight smells a lot like cheese it's a Above the dairy. It's, it's a sexy, it's a sexy, cheesy bedroom. There's, oh, yeah. There's a lactic, lactic essence to it. And that's good because, because so, like, it's going to cover, going to cover. We've been warned we're not allowed to bathe together, but that's the only thing. Because <laughs> it's, it's right, it's right above the vats. Yeah. Um, but look, that, 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 that led to, to the whole thing of making one. And do you know, the funny thing is if you pick up, uh, you know, uh, like, let's just say a basic instrument. And the first noise you make makes everybody cover their ears and kind of go, ah, what was that dying animal? You know, the, the, the thing is, if you pick it up and you suddenly get a rhythm on a beat, it's like, ooh, ooh, 
I think mm-hmm. I might be able to play mm-hmm. this. And he learned more. Like what makes you want to kind of get into a baron or a guitar or an yeah. instrument yeah. and struggle through all those periods of like bad noise, knowing that there's a goal of actually becoming somebody who can do something. My ambition to actually make a knife came from the multiple challenges of, of the process because I think it's a yin and a yang product. Like everything, I'm, I'm not... I mean, that yin and the yang aspect of it was that like the great thing about knives is you can go into a workshop and you can grind on hot like metal and sparks will fly and the whole thing. And you can play vulgarly loud rock music and you can just let your thing what, get what's out your, of your system. Uh, what's your current playlist for making knives when you say that? <laughs> oh, man, I might, actually, I, I have a pretty I've, I've always had an obsession with music. Yeah. And and I think, I mean, I've grown up with sort of Rolling Stones and Dire Straits and sort of all this kind of stuff that I've inherited. But I just, the funny thing is, it adapts with me. I almost feel like I, I kind of have music that calls to me in a certain emotional state. You know, I, I do find a connection to music. And like that thing is, is I'm painting the picture more that the sparks and the rock and roll and that element, element of sort of like channeling of energy kind of is the is the yang mm-hmm. and the yin is is the sort of the the point where you have to finish a knife that demands absolute perfection that point where you can week of work can just go down the drain because you've just had a fight with somebody or you've just had you know you're in a foul form and you're trying to do something very delicate and permanent in the in in in, in the wrong state of mind mm. and you can screw something up you have to go into these places to create and make something that you're very passionate about in the right frame of mind and go about it in a certain process. So like knife making in some kind of ways is this kind of element of 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 like, you know, it being a, an aid, an aid to this process mm-hmm. of creativity, but making a tool that you're passionate about. And the funny thing is, is that like, just like food, a really stanky, smelly, full on aged cheese <laughs> is going to make somebody run away screaming or have somebody <laughs> running and screaming towards you. Like, yeah, what yeah. is that? And I think the thing is, is that knives are the same. What one person demands a very precise, accurate tool and another person might want something you can literally cut a tree down with. Yeah. So I, I have found myself in a very versatile kind of thing, but you can speak and talk through that tool. I mean, like you've seen my knives that have these like crazy psychedelic colors. Or very traditional sort of like bog oak and clean things. Yeah. And I think you can be mad, you can be creative, you can you can be all these kind of things. And I think the funny thing is, is that you're eating this food that disappears, but you're making this tool, this thing that can perhaps live on for a long, long time, if not be, be a, a sort of a generational kind of thing that you can pass on. I think it's an incredible thing, you know, like especially if someone is cooking every day. That like, I know, like I've had one of your knives for about four or five years now maybe even more longer yeah even. like i've had it yeah. for a long time and still every time i use it it's like you know you get it kind of i remember actually the first time i ever picked up one of your knives this is like the, the I, I actually described it to someone later that day as like that scene in harry potter when he walks into Ollivander's wand shop <laughs> and he, you know he picks up a couple and i remember i picked up this one knife uh, this sanmai knife and Dragon's I, heart. I just remember holding it in my hand and going, yeah, that's, this can't leave my hand. Now, this is an extension of me. And it's like finding something like that in a kitchen, especially kind of coming off the back of, you know, working in, you know, kitchens where every, every owner is trying to cut costs and it's the same shitty pans and the same, mm. like, you know, finding something that almost feels like it's made for you mm. completely changes the way you cook. Mm. Changes the way you chop, changes the way you look at food. Well, look, the, the weird thing is, is that like I've, I've done some very interesting projects where I've had to make a lot of knives uh, from from like 20 something different variety of knives for, you know, from the paring knife the whole way through to the cleaver. Mm. I mean, the meat cleaver. Uh, so there, there is there is thousands of variations of a knife that are out there in the world, you know, that you can and every specific job out there in the world could probably have a specific night for it. Have you ever, there's an actually amazing lady called Allegra McAvity who wrote this beautiful book called um, Begs, Barred and Stolen. And she's gone all over the world and every time she goes on holiday somebody, the knife comes back with her from her adventures. And there's one story where it's begged, one where it was barred and stolen and she has cooking recipes in the book as well. That's amazing. It's a great book. But what happened was the story's based more around a kind of an adventure book. Yeah. Mm. And a cookbook. 
merge together. But the, the whole process is, is that like if you kind of, if, if you, if food is a large part of your life and revolves around you, can you look over at your knife magnet or your drawer and kind of make a connection? Like, wow, that was my grandfather's. Mm. This I found somewhere, but like that I went through culinary school with mm -hmm. this one. I've actually, mm -hmm. uh, I made myself in some mad adventure or some yeah. kind of type thing. Like, like that's my favorite screwdriver for opening oysters. <laughs> you, <know? laughs> you, know, you, you have these connections because I mean, and, and those things that kind of lend you to it because it's doing one thing you do every day, you know, yeah. the sleep and eat, <laughs> you know, <laughs> amongst other things. So I, I think that, you know, that it, it does tie back to those elements. Now that the weird thing is, is that if you, if you do cook, uh, at home, you probably are always going to reach out for the exact same knife, and, you know, a little one and a really big one or something like that. You mm -hmm. might have two that you're kind of learning. My mum's favorite knife had a little bit of a broken handle and it was the ugly thing to look at. And, you know, and that was her favorite knife. And I, and you kind of, when you're a knife maker, you have to realize that, listen, the fact that it's got jewels in the handle and it's a Damascus blade, it could be a piece of shit to use. Mm. Yeah. You know, it might not be your favorite. It's bling, bling as all hell, <laughs> but doesn't make it the best knife. Form over function. Yeah. yeah. And I think that there is, and, and but is that nostalgic, emotional, practical, physical? What is it making it your favorite? So, yeah, I mean, like we can go on these wonderful adventures of mm. why, why, what makes them so special and why are they so worthy. And look, I mean, I have my obsessions with with collecting and, and different kind of things out there. And you can spend large amounts of money on things that you will never use that stay in a drawer. Mm -hmm. yeah. And, and but isn't it lovely if you you do invest in something that actually is a part of your daily life and routine? And I think the thing is, and it is, it, isn't it a blessing when you have done that? But actually, it does work at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> it is. A, it's kind of a form of alchemy, isn't it? Yeah, turning something you love oh, into metallurgy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, the metal is one side of it. I mean, like I find I used to spend a lot of time on the internet for all the wrong reasons. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Nowadays, I find myself trying to find the next mad random handle material. Yeah, and, and like you can go down. There are now makers who make so specifically that I make a certain type of, like this Russian guy who's making crazy fiber. This these mad incredible psychedelic colors, kind of cloth based micartas. We'll make um, sure to get a picture of these up on oh, uh, the yeah, 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 Instagram because yeah, yeah. they are we've we've seen them already. Wild, and they're quite wild special. colors, bones and tusks and horns. Um, you did one, fossilized materials. And, you did yeah. you did a knife for uh, Lee Tiernan from uh, Black Axe Mangal in London. Which had shredded. But that was the one we're not allowed to talk about. Are, are we not allowed to talk <laughs> about it? There's one of them we're not allowed to talk about. Oh, oh that one, we can't talk about that one. Yeah, we can't talk about <laughs> that one. The other one we can't talk we're about. We're on a good run here. Let's not cut anything out. Okay. <laughs> no editing, right? Let's keep um, going. We've made it this far. Was, uh, with shredded dollar bills in the handle. It's kind of like oh, clear yeah. resin. Oh, we can talk about that. With like shredded yeah, dollar actually, bills. Do you know what I've got? I've got some shredded euros. I'm going to try and be very European. We're going to have to make okay. a shredded euro handle. Nice. But um, yeah, no, the, the, the thing is, is that modern, if you. All right, so traditionally knives would have been made out of materials that were very, like would have come out of rainforests. And it's it's like you had to have a material that can take the wet and the dry, the multiple abuses of of like sort of the kitchen work. I mean, if you think about it, throw it into sinks, take it out, leave it on the side of the range. Bash it off. Yeah. Drop uh, it. And, and on a, on a, on a, throw it on a, a magnet on, in the direct sunlight <laughs> in the kitchen, yeah. whatever it is. And it has to survive. And um, and I think that the the you you actually kind of like the only kind of materials you could put up with that were probably these very rare and kind of exotic handles mm -hmm. in the modern times we've been quite creative and now we can be very fruity tooty and i think the thing is is that you can merge the two in, in some kind of ways mm -hmm. as well so i do find myself that, that the eye catching element can come from the materials used for the handle but in the end it still has to work yeah Does it, <laughs> do you is there a certain kind of contradiction within yourself that like the knives almost become art pieces and as a result they don't get used as tools. <laughs> I'm actually getting a little bit of a kick out of the coquature of knives. Yeah, it's kind of like people uh, yeah. fetishizing. Laminate woods are so yeah. hot right now and shredded dollar bills. And like, see me pop It's like, like we're saying, yeah, if we're going to start, you know, you kind of talking about these things that they're the fads and the trends that kind of happen because I suppose social media and like on one knife maker, we're all thieves. In, yeah. in a, in a, and I mean this in a respectful manner. And I'm stealing this quote from my good friend, you know, Jeff Fader, that, you know, there is only so many ways that you can make a knife. There's a handle, there's a sharp end and a pointy end, you know, like, you know, so to stand out in the modern world and be creative. I, I mean, I've often felt myself being a risk taker an accidental risk taker or just maybe an unconcentrated like lap hazard kind of character 
you know, finding myself working on something. And if it works, it works and grow on that. And I, I feel maybe more the adaptation of, of perhaps growing up in the farm and the way my father and everybody else before us is to be a problem solver. Mm. If something doesn't work, how can we improve on this? You can play things safe and become a master of a very honest, traditional manner. You can be a risk taker and try and find some things and keep solving problems until you create something kind of beautiful and wonderful. And like there are fuck ups along the way and and you accept those, you own them, you know, but but they can often lead to something beautiful. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I think this around the time of the show that we usually uh, ask our guests, uh, what's hopping? At the start of the episode, we mentioned our fresh, tasty and excellent sponsor, Hop House 13. So Fingal Ferguson, what I'm going to ask you is, what's hopping? It could be an event, a project, something you're working on. Maybe it's an amazing outdoor meal you've been to recently. So basically, what is hopping? And remember, always drink responsibly. Yeah, I think this is, kind of, this is such a West Cork episode. You know, we kind of go back to like, you know, what's hopping? Fingal, is there anything in West Cork that you think, you know, really deserves the spotlight? You know, Barg would be in Farmhouse, obviously. What else What else would be showcased in West Cork? Or maybe just Cork in general, because this is the, the regional episode for Cork, but we are kind of making a focus on West Cork today, I think. I think that, that one of the things that I've discovered, probably in as the world sort of opens back up and everything kind of becomes wonderful, that those, those skills that we were refining on, those people who realized during the time of sort of lockdown and, and sort of to, to actually use that time to develop a skill or, or reopen a passion. I mean, look, everybody was at sourdoughs and different things like that. So I, I have... I have so much respect and love towards people who celebrate tradition. And 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 I think that I suppose as opposed to what's hopping in a new and fresh, I think that oh God, this is where I'm gonna probably hit a dramatic pause of like uh <laughs> there's so many people out there that have just like gone through the ups and the downs of things. But do you know what, what, what stands out in the end and always what would be kind of good is people who do things for all the right reasons. Mm -hmm. People who, who actually are making things and doing things for, for, for true passion and love of a product. And not just because, you know, they've done a study that says the business project and it'll earn so much of a... And mm. I think people who truly do things for all the absolute right reasons of love, they wake up in the morning, they're excited by, or the the adventure of what they're they're caught up in it is making them get up yeah. the next day so i think i've so much love for for i think that the fresh energy that restaurants and all these kind of people are doing that the products like so many people are doing outdoor and wonderful events and i think that as we're going into winter they're kind of coming more indoor there's there's so much that needs to be supported there and, and you have that new vim and and energy that that that, that is kind of coming out from that um quick just on that can we give a shout out to, to Luca from Collar Forge? Yeah, as an yeah, example yeah, of that. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Yeah, who's what age? Oh, like, yeah, he's just finished his leaving cert. Just finished his yeah. leaving cert, and yeah. he's. We, we we met him coming out of your yeah, knife workshop so today. I've been like following on Instagram for quite a while. I've seen him pop up wide And it's one thing as well that, you know, I kind of was, I was thinking about it earlier on. And I didn't say it, but you know, it, I, I suppose like what you're doing as well as you're inspiring a new generation of knife makers as well. Like I'm not, I'm not saying like call out Forge was completely inspired by yourself, but like, you know, he's here today, you know, helping you out with things or Do not you know helping you well, work, well, working in the workshop. I think if you, if you go back, it's funny how history repeats itself. I mean, like my, my parents started making cheese, you know, you'd reach out to other people and, do you know, I've had I've had people who've come to Ireland and, and they've been part of Irish events and they said it is amazing to see how open everybody is about the sharing of knowledge because that element of competitiveness and stuff like that. Mm. If you went into a restaurant, you sat down and there was one cheese on the cheese board. It's a pretty fucking boring cheese board, yeah. you know? <laughs> you know, a rising tide helps all. And I think that, that sharing of knowledge, because the vast majority of the case, certain products that are actually hard to make and difficult to do, it's usually because the driving force behind it is doing it for the right reason, like yeah. I mentioned earlier on. So I think the thing is, is that everybody coming together, like like I find that so many wonderful knife makers, and I'm not going to, I can mention so many, but I'd be more afraid of leaving one out that yeah, I won't do it yeah, now. Yeah. But I think of all these amazing knife makers, I find that they're all very busy at the moment. And, and maybe if they're part-time or full-time, that these knife makers are, are actually kind of like so excited about what they're doing but they're being like they're being supported and i think that the um we all get stuck into it that we're always communicating in the background like how do you do this and what do you do that and i think where do you get that and what goes on and we're sharing that information just like my parents kind of did back in the day because i suppose in some ways i like to think that 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 camaraderie is so important 
And yeah. I think that, you know, there aren't any secrets because God knows the internet has reduced secrets <laughs> so much. Yeah. It's usually that urge to just go that little bit further and do something a little bit better. But yeah, still, it, it, it's it, that that's something that's very important. That is truly happening. That is truly happening. That is truly happening. That's a beautiful answer. Like it really is. Yeah. And I, I suppose speaks volumes about not just yourself, but about everything that Gubin represents. Yeah. You know, that, that, yeah, it's kind of... I don't know it any other way. And I, I wish it more for everybody. And I think every time I look around, I do see that. I like to see the positive in everybody. And I think everybody can see that about themselves. Like, mm. like you, know, the, you know, dude, I mean, you know, pass, pass it forward, pay it forward, all these things. I mean, I'm a believer. I'm a non-religious-y kind of type person. I suppose it's more spiritual, like the pay it forward kind of mm. thing, karma. Mm. It's a beautiful thing. You know, yeah. you just feel happier about yourself it's in so many ways. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um another question we asked all our guests is today we don't have actually the laptops in front of us, so uh the episode's a bit more raw. So uh you know, we're making this up as we go along, but I think it's pretty good. I think we're, um, really yeah, also, we're also quite pissed. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Shh. But another episode another, responsibly, uh, folks. Yeah. another episode, another question we ask all our guests is uh, you know, I don't know how much you get out anymore, Fingal. You know, you've got so much going on over here. You know, you did say you used to used to be up at all the food festivals, used to be up in Dublin, used to be around the place a lot. But we ask all our guests, you know, if you had the night off now, you know, the kids are away, you know, you had nothing to do in the morning, you know, you're everything's back to normal. You can go out for dinner anywhere in the country, you can go out for a drink anywhere in the country. Where are your favourite restaurants? Where are your favourite bars to kind of hit up in the country? Oh, uh, do you know what? I've, I've, I think... For a long period of time, I've been meaning to catch up with Takeshi. Takeshi, yeah, yeah. I really want to go and experience experience that because, I mean, I've, our paths have crossed multiple occasions. And I think not just him as a beautiful person, but what he's doing, but the originality he's ha- bringing to something that Have has you been to a Chigoichi? No. Mark, really? I, I've been, I've been no to way. his... his I've been, oh, wait, wait, no. The Miyazaki's is there. I've been to Miyazaki's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the more not, takeaway. Not to, yeah. yeah, and I think also like like I mean, my youngest is three. You know, we've we've had a back on back baby for so long, and I think the thing is is that you know, so I think yeah, part of me is like great friends in Spain. We used to always go and visit the the Chestertons. I love to kind of go for an adventure down there and do those kind of things. Uh, East Cork is great. You know that great expression, don't shit in your own doorstep. Sometimes yeah. you do have to go somewhere else. Yeah. And actually, Let's go it's not until you're there, you realize, you know, you know how to relax. And it's not usually on day one. It takes a couple of days to yeah. kind of get into that kind of whole thing. Do you know, just to kind of, for, for anyone who's gone, who's this Takeshi guy who you've mentioned several times? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a, an incredible, incredible chef, an incredible person. Hmm. Who um, is a Japanese uh, Japanese guy living in Cork, mm. married to a Cork woman, making this incredible Japanese food with with West of West of Ireland ingredients, and it's mm. like it is amazing. You're in the Michelin star for his restaurant Ichigoichi, and you can sit at the counter, and Takashi will basically sit in for stand in front of you, and prepare food in front of you omakase style. Mm. But one of the things that really struck me is that he has a tuna knife that you made him, which is about probably two and a half feet long. <laughs> it's a, The thing looks like an unlockable sword in Final Fantasy or something. It is incredible. And it's well, a, it, has pri- not- it has pride of place. But I had, a vi- we, we had a learning, learning curves because, I mean, I, I like I said, I, I, you know, knife culture, I mean, there's so much about it that, that stems back to, to, to war. This whole funny <laughs> thing about, like I, like I jokingly said earlier on that, you know, the... You know, the person who went to battle and the guy whose sword broke was the one who's dead. You know, yeah. Like, yeah. This this goes back to the words Damascus and, mm. and the Japanese samurai sword. And when the samurai were disbanded, that the the actual <laughs> the, the culinary world was the you know re- was rewarded by these masters who sort of started making these knives. And I think if anybody does put any kind of knife on 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 on, on the high place, you know, it, it is probably Japanese knives. And I think that's because that element of excellence and thriving yeah. towards that. At the mm. same time, you know, Japanese knives can be mass produced in a very high level through probably a mentality. Now, at the same time, another knife maker could be obsessed entirely by growing the tree to make the wood to grow the and make one knife, <laughs> one <laughs> knife over like ten years. I'm going to make one knife in ten years. It's going to be made entirely by myself. <laughs> Kill but, Bill you know, stuff like yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I think that that but so. To stand back is that like, I've spent my entire life learning from chefs who are, I would consider friends. And I think the thing is, it's a bad day that you don't learn something. Mm. So I think the adventures I've had with Takeshi on, on, on in a very humble manner, asking him advice on how to make something from a mm. culture that I know very little about. Mm. 
you know, and I would be very open about that. You know, that I think that 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 experience of talking with him and making that knife was a beautiful experience for me, um, and and also to do it with him because you know you're not being told how to do it; you're being encouraged to actually you know look at it in a certain way or perspective, from you know just you know you know what I mean if you're yeah, yeah. the man. So yeah, I think the um, I think that's something I would wish to learn more about. And yeah, those those adventures. And was it the best knife in the world? Probably not, but it it's a stepping stone to hopefully making the next one to be better and the next one to be better. And uh, you know, I think that's a beautiful answer. You know, I mean, we're talking, we're in Cork, we're talking about Cork, and you know, we we not talk about just go, you know, wanting to eat in Takeshi's restaurant, but you know, what he's done for you, you know, learning curves yeah. and stuff like that. Hmm. It's quite amazing, quite I beautiful. Think, I think it's beautiful that a very a very simple and human philosophy of always trying to do something better and to to enrich people's lives and to make other people's lives better has brought a, like a produce and a craft from this little corner of paradise in West Cork all over the world. Like literally there are chefs in all over North America, all over South America. Francis Malman, very well-known chef, had a whole bespoke knife set. You know, I'm sure people are looking at you or looking through them and then finding, finding Gubin. And, you know, suddenly... Are you big in Argentina now? <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? Yeah, I think when, when when there are moments you wake up in the morning, it's like, why is my phone hopping? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and there are scenarios where you find yourself, and it, it is humbling because, again, I don't want anybody to ever think that, you know, anything that we do is the best in the world or whatever else like that. Like we are literally a farmer in West Cork doing something that we love to do and we want to keep getting better. But, I think there are times in, in situations where you find yourself in a beautiful scenario that, that just helps you kind of like keep doing what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I think that, that that is something that we just keep working towards. And yeah, there's adrenaline. Yes, there's, there's, there's a kick and a buzz out of it. Don't let it, you know, you're a dick if you, if you, if you let that revolve around mm. you and just be the only driving force behind it. But um, they are the small rewards of, of perhaps doing something the hard way. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's amazing. You just mentioned a, a beautiful scenario, and I think it's time to like you know bring it to the beautiful scenario that we ask all our guests towards the end of the podcast. And you know, it, it has a, it doesn't have a beautiful name, but it's all it, it all it is it's all about the beautiful scenario about having your final you know meal on the earth. If it had to be that, you know, it's you know what is your devil's dessert. <laughs> 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 so yeah it's basically you know it's it's you know it's the age-old question of you know your your death row meal but you know it's not that grim it's lovely it's nice you can have it anywhere in the world you have a big smile on your face the sun can be on your face you know it can be as many courses it can be snowing it, it doesn't can be matter any, yeah you know it it's, it's, you it's, be... what, it's what's special to you it can be as many courses it's, but it's what really hits home with you it's what you'd really I, love I, to I, have I, I think the, the... I'll have cheese and charcuterie <laughs> <laughs> no I, I think I think I think anything either cooked by 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 a family member, predominantly like mum, 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 sister, Clovis, and and or Jess from Kai, oh, yeah. <laughs> who may as well be a family member. Who is a family member? Shout out to Jess. We all love Jess, Jess in this room. Jess, Jess, her we get, Jess, we get her shout outs constantly on the podcast. Last three oh, weeks, good, so. good. Her food is a hug. But yeah. also, do you know what? She's probably going to like smuggle a file into my cake. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, which is great on a what, death row to meal to murder the devil no, no, no. oh yeah but you know if I was in death row meal and I was in prison I had to break out like she is the one going to smuggle a grenade in or something like that to make it a bit more fun you know, so I, I think everybody dies <laughs> oh, oh, no, she, no, Jess no, no. if you're listening to this just like yeah the funness. Tell them balls yeah so we're talking so where where is it first of all this meal ah Kai obviously <laughs> do you know do you know there's a funny thing I, I suppose like growing up in, in, in such a family like a food orientated kind of background we've, we've, we've I think we've, we've never held back from really treating ourselves when it comes to, to dinner like we, we, we do invest in, in the simple pleasure in life that you know like, like we will spend longer to cook food to make that is just you know that, that you know food is the thing that you wake up in the morning what are we going to have for dinner tonight and tomorrow and should I defrost something for dinner in three days time you know like food revolves yeah. in your thoughts at all times so and I, I think that being so remote down here there was amazing like you mentioned several like you know the chestnut and the like the, the, the you know the day days and you have all these these fantastic people doing amazing food sometimes the simple pleasures 
you know, are, are under our nose. Like, I mean, I, when when amazing friends have come down here, sometimes it's just that, that village to pop down to town and finding all these local ingredients, mm. you know, seasonal asparagus from our friends that grow a farm and like skein or duck and whatever wow. else. And just doing that meal that was unthought and has come out of nowhere. And it's like probably the munchies at one o'clock in the morning is you sort of mm. like fall into something can bring you more pleasure than the meal you spent four days in a row planning because the anticipation of that is probably, you know, it's it's the simple pleasures that like you aren't expecting mm. make them the best. Yeah. And um, and I think that's it nowadays. I probably, I think like people probably think that, you know, organic this, that and the other and sort of purest food, but Jesus, you know, sometimes the dodgiest of like, <laughs> you know, like, like what I crave for, quite honestly is is probably the food that i can't get yeah and i mean like we the the world is becoming a smaller place but you know asian food or middle east like middle eastern kind of food these things yeah. these things that i can read in a book but i've never tasted yeah to recreate you can have to taste a lamb out of a pit in a souk in oh, Marrakesh. That, yeah, that's fine. No, the, 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 no, the, 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 it is. It, no, no, Marcus, back in your boat. Yeah, Morocco's no, only no, there. I'm just, I'm just, what, what, I, what I am getting at is, is there's that a Moroccan there, restaurant in town. It's what that, uh, what that is is to actually be given the experience of having your mind blown by something you've mm. never had before. Yeah, it's yeah. not something I don't crave. Well, of course you crave the something that's culturally different had, as well. But isn't it great to crave a surprise? <laughs> I think that's actually that's, a beautiful that's, way. That's a beautiful way to put. <laughs> you put to, I love it. I Isn't love it. it great to crave a surprise? Yeah. My God, that's beautiful. That's beautiful, and it's been a, it's been a beautiful episode. We're in a beautiful set, and uh, Fingal Ferguson. Thank you very much. Can I put my pants back on now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, Fingal Ferguson! If people want to check you out, uh, what is the best place to do that? All over the Instagram. Instagram? <laughs> yeah. Media whore. Yeah. He's all That's over the ground. So yeah, we're, we're going to put up loads of pictures of knives <laughs> and, you know, everything else over the next couple of days. And uh, we're going to have some amazing videos up from, like, you know, the Gabean Farmhouse because, you know, it's just such a, a beautiful setting. But, yeah, you can check out Fingal Ferguson on Instagram at Fingal Ferguson. Yeah, spelled a thousand different ways. Absolutely. <laughs> and uh, please, if you do see Gabean uh, products in your local your local confectioners, your local the shop. Grocer. Your local grocer, get them. You'll see them all over menus and restaurants. You know, the cheese is used in, on so many pizzas I've seen, you know. it's Pizza's so hot right now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, all the charcuterie. I'm a big fan myself. Um, yeah, check them out. And yeah, Fingal Ferguson, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. I had a lot of fun with you guys. I'm glad, glad you came all this way. Thank you. Super. They're only stories. A new anthology drama podcast that celebrates stories and the writers behind those stories. I go like the hounds of hell are after me. Good to know. Premiering on the 17th of October on the Headstuff Podcast Network. Listen on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Their Only Stories is produced by Riots Productions in association with the Headstuff Podcast Network and funded by the Arts Council of Ireland. Yes, you should be proud Thank you very much for li- taking the time to listen to us today, folks. We are back next week with more tales and adventures of the culinary landscape. And thank you to our wonderful sponsors, Hop House 13. They're what's hopping and where that's banging. Get the facts, be drink aware and visit drinkaware.ie. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com.